gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice, my beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone, flowers appear on the earth, the season of singing has come, the cooing of doves is heard in our land, the fig tree forms its early fruit, the blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. My dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. My beloved is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the rugged hills. All night long on my bed, I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him, but did not find him. I will get up now and go to the city, through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him, but I did not find him. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. I held him and would not let him go till I had brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Recently, uh, we had to clear out our loft because uh, it's being turned into a bedroom. Uh, And when we uh, were clearing out the loft, we got rid of lots of things, including a really big box of videos, many old Disney films. But after we had got rid of uh, a whole bunch of videos, I read an article in the newspaper that showed a picture of a video, uh, a Disney video, limited edition of Beauty and the Beast. And the article told me that these Beauty and the Beast videos are now fetching £500. I had a Beauty and the Beast video in the loft, but I got rid of it in a box that went to a charity shop. Now you might think, did I run to the charity shop and frantically search for this DVD? No, I did not. But you know, all of us, I'm sure, what it is to miss an opportunity. Perhaps it's something like that. You've missed an opportunity to make some money. Perhaps you've missed an opportunity for a job or an investment. Or there was an object that was on a special offer and you've gone back and you wish you'd have bought it when you first saw it. And you've missed that great opportunity. There is regret that comes from rejecting an opportunity only to later wish that you had taken it at the time. And here... In this song that we've read tonight, the opportunity that's missed is not an object. It's not even an experience, but it's a relationship. We see here a regretful spurning, a spurning of relationship, which is later on regretted. 
But you can only spurn something and say no to it after something has been offered to you. And the first thing that we see is the man offering his darling an adventure. We see the wooing of his darling in verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 8 down to verse 13. Notice, first of all, though, before he woos her, there is a real excitement in these verses. In chapter 8, at the very beginning, we see, first of all, her excitement. Uh, some of, some of you, we've all probably experienced a time where we've been waiting for someone to arrive who we've been longing to see. Uh, before I, w- I came here to work in Pelsall, and I lived down in Devon, I used to have to travel uh, to work, and I would work away from Monday to Friday, leaving early Monday morning and traveling back at Friday afternoon. And I, when I was driving home, I was excited to be going home to my family, and my family were excited for me to come back. When I was coming home, they were listening for the car to come up on the drive, peering out the window. The children had to really calm Paula down. She was so excited that I'm coming home for the weekend. But that's the kind of scene that's going on here. Notice the short, sharp, sharp words she uses in the beginning of verse 8. Listen, my beloved, look, here he comes. She's excited that this man is coming. She knows it's him, and so she calls to everyone in her house, look, listen, look, it's him, here he's coming. So she's excited, but notice also his excitement. Notice how he approaches. He is leaping and bounding over mountains and hills. He's not walking. He's not even running. This man is leaping and he is bounding. Now, I I would love to be able to leap and bound over hills and mountains, but when I've climbed up mountains, I've not been able to do much more than a walk. I wouldn't find it very exciting. I'd probably get myself injured. But this man is excited. He is leaping and bounding. And in the Bible, uh, a leap is a gate of, of joy. Uh, Isaiah chapter 35 and, and verse 6 says, uh, talking about uh, the Lord coming, it says, uh, the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. And we know uh, the story, uh, many of us do, in Acts chapter 3, where Peter and John are going to the temple and the lame man's healed. And in the authorized version, what did the man do when he was healed? He went walking and leaping and praising God. So leaping is a gate of joy. When someone's leaping, they are happy. So this man is joyfully, excitedly leaping and he's bounding. But notice what he's leaping and bounding over. Mountains and hills. These are big obstacles. Obstacles that have got to be overcome in order for this man to reach the woman. And he doesn't just uh, meander up them. He doesn't clamber and just walk, he he leaps and he bounds over these big obstacles because he wants to reach this woman. He is joyfully overcoming the obstacles to them being together. That's what mountains and hills are. They are obstacles to their relationship. He's got to get over them. And he does so, leaping and bounding. Uh, In the beginning of verse 9, he's described as a, a gazelle or a young stag. Now, those animals uh, have a beauty and a, and a grace of movement, but also 
they are swift. They are quick. And that's what he's talking of here. He's leaping and bounding swiftly or quickly to get over these mountains and hills to see this woman. There's an excitement he has for her. And his desire, therefore, is is intense, isn't it? He's excited to come and see this lady. But when we get to the middle of verse 9, he has overcome the mountains and hills, but there's another barrier in place. In verse 8, he comes, but in verse 9, look, there he stands. So in verse 8, he comes, and in verse 9, he stands. So he's arrived, but there is barriers. In verse 8, those barriers are mountains and hills, but he's overcome them. But in verse 9, there are three barriers. He stands behind our wall, that's the first barrier, gazing through the windows, that's the second, peering through the lattice, that's the third. So these barriers, the wall, the windows, and the lattice are the barriers of her home. It's her comfort. He can't or won't force his way into the home, so he stands He leaps over the hills, but he stops at the home and he stands and he looks with an intense look. Notice the intense look, the words there, gazing, peering. So he can't force her. He can't force his way through those barriers. They're barriers that are in place by her that she needs to go through. But she knows what his intention is that his intention is to see her, to be with her, and he shows it with his look. He's gazing and he's peering at her. So he's not going to force his way in. What does he do? Well, in verses 10 to 13, he woos her. He woos her out of her comfort with an invitation. And the invitation is a common romantic motif of love in the springtime. Now, uh, there is some research, lots of research done, not that I've looked much into it, I have to say, but have how springtime is the time for love. Apparently, uh, the, the light, the weather uh, is good for, uh, for being together, but also, apparently, uh, the brain produces more dopamine, which is triggered by the, the new blossoms and flowers and birds and things that come out in the springtime. And therefore, in much poetry, there is this motif of love in the springtime. And that's what is used here in this song. He is talking, you'll notice, all about the spring. The time or the season is right for them to be together. Look at uh, verses 10 to 13. My beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. So there's the invitation. Okay, come with me. Come over the wall, through the windows, through the lattice. Come with me. And notice how he persuades her, what he uses. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. These are all springtime uh, uh, images. So the, the, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. So... Now it's a good time to come outside. You're not going to get soaking wet in the rain. It's nice and warm. Come outside. The flowers are appearing on the earth and uh, the season of singing, the cooing of doves. Uh, the dawn chorus always begins in the springtime, doesn't it? 
and you can go outside. It's lovely, actually, that we can I read about this now, because it's this time of year, isn't it? We can go outside in the morning when it's light early, and you can hear the birds uh, cooing and singing. And then the fig tree uh, and the blossom, it's the time of ripeness, of, of pleasantry. It's lovely uh, springtime images. And notice how he, uh, in the song, um, and it happens a lot throughout this song, but specifically here, using the senses. In verse 12, we have sight and sound with flowers and birdsong. And in verse 13, we have taste and smell with the fruit and the blossom. Interestingly, uh, there's no uh, um, sense of touch here, uh, perhaps because that's what is missing in this part. He is absent from her, and he's calling her out to come with him. And the invitation is personal to her. At the beginning and the end of this invitation, verse 10, at the end, and at the end of verse 13, he's calling her to arise. Come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. So a lovely call to come out with him in the springtime. The beauty of the outdoors, the place for love, wonderfully described. And it's supposed to entice her out of where she is in comfort in her home to come out with him. And he's not asking her to leave the comfort of home to, le- to, le- to come through, open those windows and go through that lattice and get over that wall for anything other than something that's intimate and beautiful, an adventure of love in the spring that is better than where she is now. That's what he's doing for her. He's showing her, look at this beauty. Look at what we can have together. This is so much better than staying behind the wall. So come with me. Well, God designed marriage, in a sense, as a leaving of comforts. In Genesis chapter 2, we read this last week. Uh, This is what is written of the first marriage, Genesis 2.24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. There is a, a leaving of the home to establish a new home. A leaving of the old comforts to be, with, to, be, to be one with the spouse. Leaving home means moving out, creating a new home together. And it's a sad situation when there's many a marriage where parental interference can be a, a huge problem, can't it? But here, in the song, he's calling her away from the home to be together. But there are other comforts that can cause barriers in relationships, aren't there? Our comforts of of hobbies that take up so much of our time, there's no time for our families. Or dedication to work, which can be, if we're honest sometimes, far more comfortable than helping with the children or with the home. Or there can be other comforts like the comfort of our routines that we will refuse to change to help our families, or the comfortable bad habits that we have that we just carry on with and and don't do anything about because, well, we're comfortable in them. And then we end up taking each other for granted and we can just drift apart. Developing relationships can be hard work. It can be easier to stand behind a wall and a window and a lattice But notice here that the man takes the initiative and calls her to something better. 
But there's a deeper parallel here with our greater husband, Jesus Christ. Jesus has joyfully leaped and bounded over the great obstacles of sin and of death in order to establish a relationship with us. He calls us to come, to come and to follow him. As a Christian, even if we have been forgiven of our sins, we've responded to the call of Christ, it can be ever so easy, even still, to stay in our comfort zones, can't it? Jesus wants to woo us away from our comfort zones, and he invites us to something better. He invites us on an adventure with him to leave the, 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 the comforts behind the wall and the, the lattice and the window and to come with him. You know, as Christians, we have our comforts, we have our routines, even good routines. We can plod along in our Christian lives. We can read our Bibles, we can pray, we can attend church, we can give our tithes, we can even be serving in various ways, but it's never uncomfortable. It's never risky. It never gets the adrenaline going. And church can even become a bit boring, a bit comfortable. When was the last time when church was a bit uncomfortable? Because you were doing something for Jesus that was a bit risky. Jesus calls us not to live lives just scraping into heaven. He calls us on an adventure in the mountains. Mountains are not easy, they are strenuous, but here he calls us to something better than just maintaining a comfortable Christian life. Because what ends up happening is if we just go for comfort, we end up drifting away from God, sometimes completely. Within this poem, there's a contrast often between the indoors and the outdoors, Later on, between the city and the countryside. And there's a calling away from something old and stale to something greater and more beautiful. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying uh, stop reading your Bibles and praying. I'm not saying that. I'm saying don't be satisfied that you're, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my 10 minutes of reading and my 10 minutes of praying, so I've done enough and I'll just carry on with my day. So he's wooing her. He's wooing her away from the comforts. And the big question at this point in the song is this. Does she go with him or does she stay behind the wall? What's she going to do? Well, in verses 14 down to verse 17, we see the answer that she, she spurns uh, her beloved. Look at verse uh, 14. She's hiding. My dove, he's calling, in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places, on the mountainside. Show me your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. My dove is a name of affection. Uh, Doves are timid. Doves are easily put to flight at the, the slightest danger or threat. And doves hide. In fact, it's a, a, a biblical image in uh, Jeremiah chapter 20, uh, 48 and verse 28. Uh, this is what we, uh, what we read. 
Abandon your towns. This is talking about, by the way, judgment that's going to come upon Moab. Abandon your towns and dwell among the rocks. You who live in Moab, be like a dove that makes its nest at the mouth of a cave. So here in, in Jeremiah, the people of Moab are told to be like a dove and go hide in the caves. And that's what's going on in the song. She is hiding like a dove in the clefts of the rock. But notice he's still uh, pursuing her. He's still going after her in the clefts of the rock. He's calling her, show me your face. Let me hear your voice. The, in fact, the word for face there, it, can also, it really means form, your whole self. Show me who you are. Show me all of you. Notice the contrast here, by the way. You've got here the calling to the countryside, the place of fruitfulness and sweet smells. And what's she doing? She's hiding in the barren rocks. She's hiding. He calls her away. She's hiding. She spurns the beloved. And then we come to verse 15. It's actually one of the most difficult verses in the song uh, to know who speaks. If you get three commentaries on this, you'll see three different views. Some say it's the man, some say it's the woman, some say it's both at the same time. But I see this as the man who is continuing to call her away from her comfort. And the vineyards here, it says, catch first the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards are vineyards that are in bloom. The vineyards is their love. And the foxes are what ruin the vineyards. If you let the foxes go into the vineyards, they, they ruin it. And the foxes only need to be little. But when they're let loose, the little foxes, little by little, ruin the vineyard. Maybe he, he's saying to her, whatever is making you hide, whatever's stopping our relationship or intimacy, catch those foxes. Catch them so that you'll come with me. But the point is really this. There are things, even little things, that can ruin a relationship. For this couple, it was those comforts. Those things that kept her behind the wall and the window and the lattice. But for us, there are behaviors, there are attitudes, there are habits that can ruin relationships. Just a few, a few examples. Sarcasm can be a little fox that can ruin a relationship. Those little put-downs that you think don't mean very much, but over time, they build up and build up and build up. A little fox that needs to be caught. Or irritations, things that perhaps irritate your spouse or somebody else, that you, you, your friends or whatever. Irritations that you think, oh, they're, they're just nothing. I, I do this all the time. I've always been this way. But over time, they get more and more irritating and they build up and they build up and they build up. And they ruin the relationship. Or what about just laziness? Not being bothered to make time as husband and wife. Or even in friendships, not making the time to, to be with one another. Being lazy around the home, not helping. Only seems little the first time. Or even every time, but it builds up and builds up and builds up. And those little foxes can ruin the relationships. And then when we think about our relationship with God, well, the, the little sins, 
Little things, we think, well, it's only, it's only a little thing. I've, I've always been this way. It doesn't matter too much. Those little sins become bigger sins. And sin always ends up spiraling out of control. And then drip by drip, those little foxes become something very big indeed. And we can make a car crash of our Christian lives by not dealing with the little foxes when they're little because they grow into big foxes. Because sin has a big appetite and it grows and it grows and it grows. And we're better off to catch it while it's a little fox. Don't treat any sin as something just little, just something that I do because it becomes bigger. And even when we're thinking about uh, doing something, maybe even for the first time, a sin, you know, you know, just for thinking about something like pornography, for example, I'll just one quick look. And it's a little fox, and it can grow, and it can grow, and it can grow, and can destroy our lives. Catch the little foxes that ruin the vineyards. So she has spurned this invitation because she's hiding. But he is still calling her to come out. And then in verse 16 and 17, she responds herself from the clefts of the rock. In verse 16, she appears to be saying that they are in relationship. They belong to one another. My beloved is mine and I am his. And he browses among the lilies. It, it seems, she seems to be saying that she, they are together. They are in relationship. This, it, it seems like a wonderful uh, a wonderful thing. In, in, cha- in chapter 2 and verse 2, if you remember, she was described there as a lily. So we can assume that in verse 16, at the very least, she wants to be with him. She wants the intimacy with him. And in verse 17, she wants that intimacy until the day breaks and the shadows flee. It's a bit of a confusing phrase, actually. It could mean the morning when the sun rises and the night shadows flee. Or it could mean the evening when the day is broken and the shadows cast by the sun disappear. It could be either. I want to be with you uh, in the morning or morning or until morning or all night. And she's telling him to turn, it says in verse 17, and be like a gazelle or a young stag. In other words, like you were in, uh, earlier on when you were coming over the hills, be like that on the rugged hills. And the, 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 the phrase there for rugged hills actually is a, a play on words. It can mean to divide or cleft, and it could even, uh, many people think, be talking of her breasts. And it's, it appears that she's asking for intimacy with him all day and all night. But that's what it appears. Because there's actually real ambiguity here. Because at the same time, Turn and be like a gazelle can also mean turn back over the hills where you've came from and we'll have intimacy later. In other words, verse 16, I'll be yours and you'll be mine and you can browse among the lilies. We'll we'll do that later, either in the morning or in the evening, but not now. I'm too comfortable right now at home. For now, go and turn without me. Go on the adventure, but for now, not with me. So, Is she asking him to turn to her, or is she asking him to turn away from her? Well, the ambiguity indicates both. She wants intimacy, but she doesn't want to leave her comfort zone either. And the dream that's coming up in chapter 3, where she's definitely without him, seems to suggest that she wants him, 
but doesn't want to leave her comfort zone, tells him to turn, and ends up on her own. Now, in verse 17, until the day breaks and the shadows flee, is really wait till later. And there is a good time to say, wait. There is a right time for someone to say, my beloved is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies. There's a right time, and that time is marriage, isn't it? Before marriage is an obvious time to say, wait. Wait until marriage. At that point, then turn to me when the time is right. But until then, turn away. But in a negative way, there's also procrastination here. Where we really want to do something, but we don't really want to leave our comfort either. You know, procrastination is not intimacy deferred, it's rejection. We want to deal with our relationship problems, and we talk about it a lot, but the actions don't really speak as loud as our words. We have a good discussion with our spouse about the difficulties that we're having. We make plans to deal with those difficulties, but we never really do anything about it. We want to, but we don't want to. And we end up making no progress, and we stay in the same relation of problems that we have always had. I mean, just one uh, example. Uh, Praying together. How many husbands and wives, how many of us have had good intentions to pray together? We've made plans, and it never happens. There's no action. We want to, but it's just uncomfortable, and I've got to change my schedule a little bit, and uh, I want to, but... I'm a bit comfortable. And we can be excited to do it at the time we discuss it, but then the actual getting around to it, uh, it's just a bit uncomfortable. I mean, that's one example of, of, of what could be many, can't there? Where we say, yes, I really want to deal with this problem, but when it comes to it, I don't really want to leave my comfort zone. And we see the same thing as well with our relationship with the Lord, don't we? Jesus calls us to radical discipleship, and we want to obey him. We want to give. We have good intentions to serve and to love others and to to read our Bibles and, and to pray and to be at the prayer meeting. Yes, I want to do that. But he calls us and he says, well, come on then, let's go. And we say, well, yeah, tomorrow. When the day breaks and the shadows flee, well, then, then Jesus I'll come with you. And we, we even pray, Lord, Lord, when my exams are done, Lord, then I'll come with you. I'll come with you, Lord. But right now, I, I, I've got exams. Lord, I, I, but I've, I've just got this job, and I want to get secure in my job. And then, Jesus, then I'll come with you on this adventure. Uh, but Lord, oh, but I've just got married, Lord. I need to settle down in my marriage, Lord. I can't come right now, Lord. Lord, I've just bought my first house. Lord, I can't come with you. I can't do what you're asking of me right now because, well, I've got to decorate. And it takes ages to decorate my house. And Lord, my children, I've, I've just, I've just had, a, had children. Lord, I can't come with you now. Oh, but Lord, now my children are at uni. Oh, this, this is expensive. Lord, I, I can't possibly do what you're asking. My children are at university. I've got to deal with them. Lord, Lord, grandchildren have arrived. Lord, I'll come with you. I will come, but Lord, I've got to babysit my grandchildren and I, I can't, I've got to spend all my time there. I cannot come with you now, Lord. Lord, once this knee replacement has been done, Lord, then I'll come with you. 
And we end up reaching death and missing out on the adventure that Jesus has called us to. And friends, life goes quick, doesn't it? Now, it's not saying here, as Jesus calls us to love in the springtime, that it's all sunshine and buttercups. I mean, Jesus calls us to take a cross. He calls here to come up the mountain. But it is the way of joy. It is better than staying behind the wall in the comfort zone and doing nothing. But as we come to chapter 3, there is a change in the scene. The beloved, it seems, has gone up the mountain without her, and she's in bed. And in her bed, she appears to have a dream of some kind. It, it may be a dream, it may not be a dream, it doesn't matter because it's poetry, right? But she regrets spurning her lover. And so what does she do? She is searching for her beloved. And here we see a real yearning for her beloved, a, a real intensity to go and find him. Uh, no, you'll notice that as you read this a verse at a time that in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, there is a repeat of the phrase, the one my heart loves. That's her name for him. It's repeated four times. The one my heart loves. And for the, the people of this time, the heart wasn't just the, the seat of of the emotions, it was also the seat of thought. It was uh, my, my whole being cries out for him. He's the one my, my whole being just longs for and loves. She really loves him. She doesn't want to be without him. And her motivation to be with him is this deep desire for the one that her heart loves. And so we come to chapter 3 and verse 1. All night long on my bed, I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him but did not find him. So she's in bed. She's alone. She wakes up and she realizes, I'm alone. Where is he? And so she searches for him, but she can't find him. And she looks, it says, all night long. So she spends time searching for him. She doesn't stop until she's sure he's not in the bed. I mean, that can't have taken that long to look, but he's not in the bed and he's not in the room. He can't find her. Oh, she can't, sorry, she can't find him. And so she decides, right, I'm I'm going to look elsewhere. And so chapter 3, verse 2. I will get up now and go about the city through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him, but did not find him. So here she is taking a risk. She's left the home, left her room, and she leaves to go to the city. It's a dangerous place, the city. It was a dangerous place at this time for a woman to walk around on her own in the city. And here she is, frantically searching for the one her heart loves in the city. And in this poem, the city generally, as we see it later on as well, is the place of danger. It's a place of hostility for love because it is crowded and it's noisy. And she wants to take him from that crowded and noisy place to the place of intimacy, her bed, her room. And so she searches the streets and the squares of the city. And what's the result? It's a repeat of the first verse, isn't it? I looked for him, but I did not find him. And so, in verse 3, the watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? Well, the watchmen here, they were ones that patrolled the city streets. They kept order in the city. And so she thought, well, 
Maybe they've seen him. They're patrolling the city. But she says, so she says to them, have you seen the one my heart loves? Well, she doesn't get any help from these watchmen. They're silent. They, they don't do anything. And literally around the corner, it, it, it seems, she bumps into him in verse 4. She says, scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. And look at what she does. I held him and I would not let him go till I had brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. So she passes the watchman and she finds him. It seems like she just bumps into him or something in this dream. And notice how now, after spurning him, regretting it, searching for him, searching for him and finding him, we see the opposite to hiding in the cleft of the rock. She holds him. She will not let him go. She is assertive. She is devoted now to him. She will not let him go now that she has found him again. She regrets spurning him and hiding away. And now she is so happy she's found this man again. And she won't let him go, it says, till she brings him to her mother's house and to her mother's bedroom. Now, for us today, um, that might be the last place she would want to go, right? But there's meaning here. There's the, it's the place of security. It's her home. And it's the place of intimacy. Uh, the, 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 the phrase there, uh, the room of the one who conceived me, she's talking about the fact that previous generations were made in this room. Now, it might gross us out, but what she's saying here is, I want intimacy with him. I want to be with this man. I want to bring her to the place where intimacy has always been in the previous generations. But there's a stronger link here too. Because mothers were involved in wedding proposals and preparations. There is the thought here of marriage. In fact, in Genesis chapter 24 and verse 67... Isaac marries Rebekah when he brings her into his mother's tent. So what she's really saying here is, I won't let this one go until I've married him. I won't let him go until I've married him. And so at the end of chapter 2, you could see his wooing her as the proposal. She's rejected it. And here in chapter 3, there's the accepting of that proposal after the rejection. And in the very uh, next uh, part of the song, which we'll look at next time, from chapter 3, verse 6, we see a wedding. There's a proposal and an acceptance, and then we're going to see a, a wedding. After her rejection of him, she works hard to make this right. And there's, of course application for us there, isn't there? That after we have sinned against another person, we pursue the relationship to make it right. Now, she hasn't necessarily sinned uh, by rejecting a, a marriage proposal. That's not what's going on here. But there's a barrier in the relationship that needs to be bridged. And so she goes for that bridging. And that's especially important in marriage, isn't it? Because there's rejection of one another, even in the home, isn't there, from time to time. 
And we need to be seeking one another out. We need to be pursuing reconciliation. We need to be holding on to one another lest we drift apart. It's easy to be lazy in relationships. It's easy to not seek that reconciliation. It's easy to hide things under the carpet or to avoid conversations. But we're not to do that. She works hard to make it right. And this isn't, uh, I don't think you need to look at this poem and say, well, man does this, woman does this, so therefore I do this and she does that. No, no. We hold on to each other. We seek out and make it right. And I think here as well, there is a word uh, for those who perhaps are longing for marriage and perhaps even are searching for marriage. Uh, She longs here for marriage. She wants this man to be her husband. And that longing is not bad and it is not discontentment to long for marriage. Discontentment is where uh, we are miserable and that a marriage becomes a happiness idol. If I am not married, I cannot be happy. But the longing is not wrong. We looked at that last week. There is potential here, not promise, of finding marriage. But the big point is in verse 5 here, isn't it? We see this refrain again as we saw last time. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. The time to arouse or awaken love is when we are ready for marriage. There's, we, we, I mean, we talked a little bit about this last week, but I'll, I'll, I'll repeat this again. It is not good and it is not wise for Christians to be pursuing relationships for the sake of having relationships when there's no intention And no readiness for marriage. The time for love is the time of this, like this, is the time for marriage. So the longing isn't wrong. The searching to a point isn't wrong. There's not a promise here. You're going to find one that you can hold on to. God doesn't promise to give us a spouse. And that's where we look for the ultimate longing and the ultimate contentment which is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Our longing for him must be greater than our longing for anything else. Sometimes we feel far from God. Sometimes we can feel alone. Sometimes that's because of sin. Sometimes that is because of a lack of companionship. We can feel lonely at times. Sometimes it's a test from God. But at these times, we need to be seeking and searching for Jesus through his word, through prayer, and through his people. It's easy to be lazy with our relationship with God, isn't it? Like the lover here, we should be earnestly, as David said in his Psalm 63, earnestly seeking God. And as we seek God, he promises us that we will find him. Jeremiah 29 and verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. 
We will find Jesus as we seek him. But it's easy to be lazy, isn't it, than to not bother. It's too hard. But here we see she regretted spurning him and she went for him after. And maybe here this evening, there are people who have been rejecting Jesus and have been saying to Jesus, no, Jesus, I I don't want to follow you. I'll do it later. Maybe I'll I'll follow you, Jesus, when I'm older, or I'll follow you, Jesus, at a more convenient time in my life. I'm too busy right now. And we say, no, Jesus, not now. But there will be regret at that decision. Many a Christian uh, has had a testimony where they have said, I wish I had found him earlier. I I wish that I had sought him before. Now is the time. Come to Jesus now. Arise. Come. Come with him. Because if you don't come to Jesus now, there'll be eternal regret and no opportunity to seek after him. And what about people who proclaim the name of Jesus, confess him as their Lord? Are we really seeking him or are we saying to him, I'll go later, Jesus. Turn and go on your own for now. I'll come back later. But Jesus has come. He says, arise. Come, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. And as we seek Jesus, we will find him. And we are encouraged to not let him go until that great wedding in heaven where we will be united with Jesus forever and ever. Hold on. Don't let him go, and we'll be with him forever. The second verse of our final song uh, says uh, these words. Your arms of love are reaching out to every soul that seeks you. Your light will shine in all the earth, bringing grace and a great salvation. Jesus is inviting us. His arms of love are reaching out, and as we seek him, we'll find him, and he takes us on an adventure. Let us go. Let us follow him. So let's respond by standing and singing King of the Ages, Almighty God.